Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. Matthew 24 is a warning what to look for, what to see, a warning to understand the times in which you live. And we find ourselves, and I hope by now that I've convinced you, we find ourselves in a time of human history where the birth pains are increasing in intensity and growing stronger and shorter as each new day approaches. And it happens rapidly and quickly. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Welcome to another week of Abounding Grace. We hope you have a lovely Christmas, and after a couple of days of celebration, we come back to our study of Daniel here on the program. Pastor Ed Taylor is going to help us understand the times we're living in, and we'll spend a good amount of time in Matthew 24. You might recognize this as the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus sits down with his disciples, answering some questions about the end. We stand to benefit as we're most definitely living in the end times. So let's set out together to gain a greater understanding of the last days and how we're to live in them. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. We are in this verse-by-verse study through the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 12, as we've read before, Daniel's told that what he's writing is for the end times. Seal it up. Seal it up until the end. And when the end comes, Daniel, the book of Daniel, will be opened and understood. And as we were reading through that for the first time, the Lord really impressed upon me the need to spend some time together looking at the end times, especially in light of what we're living in and the times in which we live. The times in which we live are no surprise to God. God is sovereign, and none of this is by surprise. For us, it's quite surprising In many ways, it's shocking. In in many ways, it stirs us and brings great concern. But not to God. God knew and God knows how things are going to end. And you know, as a church that's emphasized the teaching of the Bible verse by verse, as a church that values prophecy in God's prophetic word, as a church that has seen fulfilled prophecy as we look back in the first coming of Jesus and we look back at other things like the rebirth of Israel, as a church that values prophecy, we, we shouldn't be surprised in the days in which we live. It shouldn't be that shocking. Now, it might have a, a personal shock because as, as we want and hasten the coming of the Lord, none of us really want to live through the difficulty and the darkness that are going to precede it. It's sad. It's difficult. It's hard. It brings sorrow and sadness and so many people are hurt and lives are lost and chaos abounds. But as a church that's dedicated to the Word of God, one of the responses should not be surprise. We shouldn't be surprised at what we're seeing because God said it would be so. Now, there may be a sense of surprise that we're alive to see it. There may be a sense of surprise that it's our generation 
But the fact that things are happening, and as we'll see in a future study, that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man, that, that has been written to us. Jesus has taught us that for the last 2,000 years, as in the days of Noah. And so I'll give you some homework before our next study. We won't cover this now, but for next study, read the rest of Matthew 24, and then go back and read in Genesis, what did the days of Noah look like? What was happening in the days of Noah? And begin to piece together what was happening in the days of Noah and what's happening before your own eyes. It's a prophecy and a teaching that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago. When we come to Matthew 24, we're gaining insight on the last days. And remember, Matthew 24 is known as the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is answering key questions that his disciples were asking about the end. And there is a longing in the heart of every man to have insight from God. And the way that we gain insight from God is to bring our questions to him. And at the same time, there's an attack upon faith by worry, anxiety, fear. And we're wondering, okay, what's going to happen in the end times? And then we ask, well, what is this the end times? And if this is the end times, then what's next? And what's going to happen? And then the question comes, which is very natural, what's going to happen to me? And what's going to happen to my family? And at the end times, extend a little bit more. What's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen to my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren? Some even in light of the world in which we live, some parents, some young, or some young couples are contemplating either delaying or not having children at all because of their fearfulness of bringing children into the world in which it is. This is real stuff as you watch the last days unfold before you. Very concerning stuff. And it attacks our faith because we entered in when we were born again confident, trusting God with our lives. We look back on our lives and we go, man, I have wasted so many years. And now I receive the forgiveness of God and I won't waste any more years. And we start out the gate so fast and then life hits us and regularity hits us. And then we start to read the Bible. And then we find ourselves like now we're, we know the Bible now. And, and it's like we have a bigger relationship with the Bible than we do with the author of the Bible. And we forget that we have a real, living, vibrant relationship with the creator of the universe who gave us his word, not to become Bible, have, have Bible knowledge beyond belief, but to have a knowledge of him. Because the more you get to know someone, the closer you get. Every relationship's the same way. Through time and testing, relationships grow. And through that time and testing, and we begin to learn more about one another, relationships grow. But man, there is an attack. So what? God is faithful in all of this. God is faithful to give us what we need to know when we need to know it. As you might have used the phrase, you're on a need-to-know basis. And you'll know when you need to know. Not until then. And God is the same way. He reveals to us what we need to know when we need to know it in order for us, and this is how we'll tie this whole section together. He reveals to us what we need to know when we need to know it in order for us to be the salt and the light in the crumbling world. Because that may be your question today. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? And we'll end our time together answering that question. Pick up with me in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 24 is where we left off. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. The sacrilegious object that causes desecration, standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. 
A person, verse 18, out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. Now, when does this event happen? This, this event is known as a dual prophecy. And this event happens right in the middle of the great tribulation period. And there are two parts to this, two parts to this section. One is prophetic and one is historic. And in our study in Daniel, we've already learned of the historic part. After the reign of Alexander the Great, a king named Antiochus Epiphanes ruled throughout Syria. And he was a madman who believed that he was the Greek god Zeus. The Jews refused to worship him, and this infuriated him. So in 170 BC, he killed over 100,000 Jewish males. He raped the women, or had the women raped, and looted Jerusalem. And then he entered the temple, the holy place of God, with a butchered pig on the altar, and forced the priest to drink its blood and eat the raw meat. And then he went about smearing the blood on every wall inside of the temple, which was truly an abomination of desecration according to the Jews. And that happened historically. But notice Jesus ties this also prophetically. And he ties it to prophetically when he says in verse 21, For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. So there is a, a time in history that he's referring to, but also a prophetic element in the last days, taking Matthew 24 into the great tribulation period where the Antichrist now will, Antiochus Epiphanes was now a type of the Antichrist, a picture of the Antichrist, where he will make a historic peace treaty, a covenant with Israel. Might I just remind you that we're living in a time period where people are desperate for a sense of peace and deliverance from their current troubles. In this case, it's the, all the effects of a virus and all of the decisions of governments to say, you know what, we just want this to be eradicated and we will do whatever it takes. We will, we will hold people in their homes. We will shut down the economy. We will stop this. Whatever it takes to stop this, we are willing to do. And then as time marched on, there's this sense of this isn't working or it's not happening here. And these guys have a different plan. You know, even in our own country, right? Different states have different plans. You know, did you know that some states didn't close at all? And you go, well, let's move there. Let's get, what's going on? Some states didn't close at all. Other states didn't go as extreme. And on and on that list goes. So what happens when you begin to hear that? You're like, wait a minute. Why is, there so, why is there such differences? Some countries didn't close. Some countries handled it differently. And, and as you begin to see all the differences, there have been cries. Well, you know what? We just need one leader. Why don't we just have one decision? Why can't we just take, you know, we really think this could be solved if we collectively have it in one place, one leader, one system. And as you see the days in which we live, the Antichrist, whether we're the generation that sees the Antichrist or not, I'm firmly convinced that the coming of the Lord is at hand. And that, that means the Antichrist is alive right now. I don't think he's a baby in diapers. I think he's alive right now as an adult. And as you think, I don't, and you might say, well, do you know who he is? I have no idea, but here's his name. You ready? 
Mr. Antichrist. We know that. But no, I don't know who he is. But considering the days in which we live, it would not surprise me if he's alive today. And he will bring peace where there is no peace. Again, when we take you, those of you that now you see, man, we got to keep going to Israel while we can. I've been saying that every year. We're going to go to Israel, go to Israel, go to Israel while we can. And then here comes a year when you can't. And you're like, hey, it may close. And then we were right there this year, right before they closed. I mean, we were right there. And, and we were able to see one of the last groups before they shut the whole country down. And when they open it up again, Lord willing, and we take you again, we're going to take you up to the Temple Mount area. And when you get up to the Temple Mount area, after you get over the fact that you're there and that you're seeing everything and you're taking your pictures, you're going to consider that the greatest difficulty in the world today actually isn't the virus and isn't some of the things that people make it. The biggest difficulty in the world today is that golden dome on the Temple Mount. That is the biggest issue globally Today, remember I've taught you that the epicenter of life, the epicenter of God's uh, final dealings with man, the epicenter of God's prophetic time clock is not the United States of America. It's not Russia. It's not Iran, Iraq. It is, church, where is it? Jerusalem or Israel, either one. I'd give you an A++, either one. Jerusalem. And the top of the Temple Mount where the Golden Dome sits, as you see at familiar pictures, is the place where the Jews want to rebuild their temple, right there. And to do any damage to the mosque there would cause an uprising of billions of Muslims very upset. And yet the Bible says it's going to take place. And the Bible says it's going to take place under this man known as the Antichrist. God is going to use this man to bring a historic world peace. And he's going to sign a covenant with Israel. He will appear to them as their savior and their Messiah. But in the middle of that seven-year peace deal, he will break it. Jot it down in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness, another name for the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you all about this when I was with you? And it will be after this abomination that brings desolation that will spread. And in Zechariah's prophecy, he tells us that only a third of the Jews will escape. That's Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. Tragically, two-thirds of the Jewish nation at this time will be caught in the tremendous slaughter of the Antichrist. And many Bible scholars believe that one of the places of hiding that Jews will find themselves in is in the rock city of Petra. And it's a fascinating study and a neat, a neat place to visit. Verse 22 now. He says, in fact, this is back in Matthew 24. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's elect. It will be that that latter three and a half years that the Antichrist reveals his true colors. A time of disaster and destruction and Jesus says, unless the days have shortened, nobody would survive. 
And then notice he uses the word in verse 22, he uses the word, in fact, there was a time of calamity shortened at the end. He says, for the sake of God's chosen ones. Now, that's how the New Living Translation translates it. But you're probably more familiar with the phrase or the word elect. These are God's elect. And many have taken this verse and a few others and said, see, the church is in the great tribulation period because there are times in the New Testament where you and I are also called the elect of God. And if you are not careful in Scripture with, uh, as I was talking to one brother today, context is everything. You know, you can use the same word to mean two different things in two different contexts. We've illustrated that before with the word love in the English. Without even knowing what the Greek words mean, just understanding when you, when you sit down for dinner and you have a great burger, like at In-N-Out that's opening up, and you sit down for the first time and ever have an In-N-Out burger in Colorado, you can thank us Californians for bringing that to you very much. Thank us now. We brought you In-N-Out. Don't forget, it was the Californian that moved that brought you In-N-Out. So, when you sit down and you have the meal and, and you look and you go, man, this was the greatest hamburger I've ever had. Pastor Ed was right all along. Why did I ever doubt him? What was I thinking? How could I like Whataburger? You know, when you sit down for Whataburger, you say, what is this? Whataburger. So when you sit down for whatever burger you like and you finally have it and you sit down and you say, you look at, you look at, yeah, maybe you took me out to eat. Thank you very much. And you look at me across the table and you go, you know, I love this burger. I'm like, great. I love that burger too. Well, I don't like the one you, I love the one you ate. I love the one I ate. It was great. I love it. And then you drive home and you say to one of your friends or one of your kids, you know, I love you. You are not meaning the same thing. I hope. I hope you don't love a human being like you love your burger, like you love whatever it might be. You can use the same, you're with me so far, you, same word, can mean a different thing in a different context. It's the same thing with elect. Elect is used not only to describe the Jews, but it's also used to describe the church. Two different entities. In Romans chapter 8 verse 33, again reading from the New Living Translation, it says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Speaking of believers, in the New King James, it says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. God, since God chose you to be his holy people, he loves you. Speaking of believers, the New King James says, therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved. But Israel is also called the elect of God. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect. Isaiah 65, verse 9, Israel spoken of, my elect shall inherit it. Romans chapter 11, verse 28, concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, speaking of the Jews, remember 9, 10, and 11, is attention toward the Jewish people, but for election's sake, they are beloved. And I don't want you to miss the context of Matthew 24 here, in the great tribulation period, has a very deep Jewish context. You, you have references from chapter or verse 15 all the way through verse 36. You have references to Judea, to the temple, to the Sabbath. You have references to being on a flat roof coming down. You have references that are specifically Jewish. 
And I say that only to say that don't be stumbled by people get, taking a verse out of context and going, well, you see, the church is in the great tribulation period. Now, I respect there are different views to that particular doctrine. Some of you may still even hear, hold to a view that the church has to go through the great tribulation period. I am biblically convinced that the rapture of the church happens prior. And the elect or the chosen ones here reference the Jewish people. And so we find ourselves in a time where great pain. Notice verse 23 now. It says, if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. Matthew 24 is a warning. What to look for, what to see, a warning to understand the times in which you live. And we find ourselves, and I hope by now that I've convinced you, we find ourselves in a time of human history where the birth pains are increasing in intensity and growing stronger and shorter as each new day approaches. And it happens rapidly and quickly. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11, G Peter said this, Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along? The biblical worldview on culture. Remember, when you think of the phrase biblical worldview, Think of it how you view the world. Everybody on the planet Earth has a worldview. Everyone sees the world through, I guess you can, as I've used before, through the lens of some bias. That we, we see it through somehow how we were taught. And there's a scientific uh, anti-God worldview. There's a humanistic anti-God worldview. There are even different theological worldviews. And what we need is a biblical worldview, a balanced biblical worldview where we can come to the scriptures and address what we see in the culture and give an explanation to it. God can give an explanation of what you see. He can give the root of the issue. He can show us how to respond what his heart is in the culture that has rebelled against him. And, and whether it's our culture in our country, or it's a culture in Saudi Arabia, or it's a culture in the Philippines, or it's a culture in Mexico, it doesn't really matter. Whatever that culture is, is a subset of a rebellious people that have separated themselves from God. And because of that, God gives us his answer on how to handle the culture. And how to step into the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, on a global scale, here's God's view of the culture. The biblical worldview, as you put the, if you put the glasses of the Bible on your eyes, that's all you can see is through the Bible. I, I, we saw this weekend that we have one document that directs our lives. It's just one document. We don't have two. We don't have three. We have one document that, that directs our lives. So that becomes what we see everything through. Like the Bible becomes a pair of glasses. Uh, if you don't wear glasses, then a pair of sunglasses. So that everything you see, you see through that lens. We see through the lens of the Bible. Are you with me so far on biblical worldview? 
Don't miss this. The biblical worldview means how you see something. What is the lens in which you see something? So here's what the biblical, here's is how God sees culture. You ready? The biblical worldview on culture is that it's dark, bad, and getting darker and worse until the coming of the Lord. That is, God has predicted and prophesied that. That's how God sees the world in which we live, and how we should too. Today on Abounding Grace, we've been listening to Pastor Ed Taylor's series called Understanding the Times. It's part of a study in Daniel. You can hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our mobile app. Just search for Calvary Aurora. I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christmas. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel searches out the true identity of the child in the manger. He consults experts on the Bible, archaeology, and messianic prophecy. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, this would be a wonderful time to hear from you. And you can place a resource request when you call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. We'll resume Pastor Ed Taylor's series, Understanding the Times, tomorrow on Abounding Grace. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. 